Today's first lesson uh, comes from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It's going to be found in your New Testament uh, on page 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Our second reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Listen again for God's word for us today. Here is my servant whom I, am, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring prisoners out from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. This is the word of God. Let us pray. God of the covenant, we give you thanks for the waters of baptism that claim us and make us known to you and to one another. As we come before your word this morning, help us to receive your voice into our very hearts so that we may believe and know what you are revealing to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in the Christian church calendar today, we celebrate and remember the baptism of Jesus. This holy day is easily overlooked or not seen as that big of a deal. You know, Jesus got baptized. Cool. Now, if you've grown up in a church setting, and depending on the tradition in which you were raised, you may have been baptized as an infant, or perhaps not until you could articulate and understand what it was that you were doing. Um, I'm sure even in this room right now that many of you have different opinions and stances of your own for, for your own self or your family. Um, just for the record, in the Presbyterian Church, we practice both adult and infant baptism, understanding that um, in infant baptism, it's the recognition that it is God who chooses us for faith, discipleship, and belovedness, even before we're able to articulate it ourselves. Without God in the first place, we have no power to claim these things for ourselves anyway. 
And so the parents and the, and the community of faith can make those promises to help raise the child in faith until they can articulate it for themselves. And then so, of course, we affirm that people come to faith in different stages of life and recognize the baptism of older believers as an equally valid expression of the sacrament. Um, in our book of order, which I recommend as intriguing reading for you all, we express that we baptize with, quote, undue haste or undue delay. I love that, that formal polity language, but I actually really do, and I really do recommend that book to you. But I'm not really here to go into an exposition um, on proper baptismal theology or doctrine. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the proper way that someone should be baptized, you know, sprinkled, dunked, or using a pitcher, or how old they should be. I'm here to remind us of our baptisms, whether we remember them or not, as a way to collectively remember, empower, and renew us again for the work and ministry that God is calling all of us into in these days. This week I read a commentary by theologian Debbie Thomas who talked about growing up in a tradition where they waited to perform baptisms until they could understand and, um, what they were doing and be able to articulate and claim that for themselves. I'm sure some of you were raised in that tradition too. Uh, she said she was 12 years old when her father, the minister, baptized her and she remembers everything about it, like the songs that were playing, she was totally dunked into the water. According to the family, though, she had been asking to be baptized since she was three years old, um, saying that actually if rumors were true, she did not just ask. She begged, cried, and threw tantrums, insisting that she was ready to be dunked. But she said in the tradition that raised her, baptism was understood to be a symbolic stepping out from the crowd. Um, it was a personal demonstration of faith that she said, like, I choose to follow Christ. I choose to identify as a Christian. I choose to make this public declaration. And so she shared then that since that time, um, when she reads the, the story of Jesus' baptism now, which is recorded in all four Gospels, by the way, she does not see so much a stepping out, but a very intentional stepping in. She writes of baptism as, quote, a stepping in, a stepping into a history, a lineage, a geography, an identity. In receiving baptism, Jesus doesn't set himself apart from us. He aligns himself with us. Baptism in Matthew's gospel story is not about othering. It's about solidarity, about joining. It's about being ushered into a story, a huge, sprawling story, a worldwide community of the faithful, a liturgy that endures. And she writes a created universe that whispers, laughs, and shouts God's name from every nook and corner. I love that. Several years ago, I had the privilege of standing at the edge of the Jordan River. And I remember first, honestly, kind of being shocked at how gross and dirty the water was. But when I got past that, I was amazed to, at the, to see the scope of humanity that gathered there. People from every place and tribe and language gathered and seeking to experience the presence of God as Jesus did at his own baptism. Even Jesus stepped into the waters, into the hands of John the Baptist, stepping fully into his humanity. And in that moment was himself affirmed by the voice of God of his beloved identity before any miracles 
any teachings or healings before he could prove it. It was a powerful witness, I think, then and now. And friends, in these days, we not only need that reminder, but also need that sense of renewal and courage of spirit and always, always reminders of our personal and collective beloved identity again and again. I know that I need that reminder. And so alongside this gospel story of the baptism of our Lord, we hear about a servant um, from the prophet Isaiah this morning as well. Um, Now I want to give you a little bit of background into the community that this prophet is speaking into. Um, It's a group of exiles who are still recovering from a trauma of an invasion that has taken their home and livelihoods away. They've seen their city destroyed, their friends and family killed or taken away in chains into a foreign land. They all feel like God has deserted them. They are disoriented and dislocated people barely hanging on at the end of their rope. Isaiah did not have an easy task to speak hope into this community. But throughout these chapters, he tries to use some creative imagery to help them think about how to live in the midst of the horrible chaos that unexpectedly broke into their lives. And I thought we might need some of those reminders too. And so earlier, there's an image image of God as a mighty warrior, and then also as a shepherd who protects their sheep. And then even God as a woman in labor. And in today's reading from Isaiah, we then encounter for the first time this image of, quote, a suffering servant of God. The servant is described as a bruised reed and a dimly burning wick. But it comes also with this faith-filled assurance that God's spirit is working through this servant, and this servant will not be broken or quenched, but will continue to fulfill the mission and establish justice on earth. What looks like or seems weak is still strong. Power in the midst of vulnerability, a different kind of power. It's a power that does not scream or shout, which offers a stark contrast with the brutal force the community was facing by the empires of that day. Now friends, even if you and I have not personally faced the kind of trauma where we have seen our own personal homes and livelihoods taken away, I think like this community, we have found ourselves in a state of chaos and despair in our own personal lives and maybe as we especially face the realities of these days in our country and in our world. And I think if instead of pretending that we have it all together and uh, that we can do it alone or survive alone, like the servant in this text, it's okay to acknowledge that we are often no more than bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks. As a songwriter, Leonard Cohen writes in a song um, entitled Anthem, says, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything, but that is where the light gets in. And that's what Isaiah reminds us of today, that God's grace and power works at the point where we are most fragile and dim, God's soul delights in God's servant just as we are, no matter where we are. It is with us that God is well pleased. And so then in the midst of these turbulent or difficult times, when we feel helpless, tired, and out of control, we discover from this text and this particular servant that we need to cultivate the power that we do have in the midst of our current state of vulnerability. 
um, Old Testament professor Juliana Classens writes, quote, even in the midst of the most dire of circumstances, we still have the power to make a difference in the lives of people around us. As we have seen in the case of the suffering servant, this power is a remarkable power, not like the power of the worldly institutions, but a power that grows out of compassion, out of being concerned with the needs of the other. Even if we find ourselves in a completely hopeless situation, we can continue to nurture compassion's power. Friends, that means that even in the most disturbing of days, we have the ability to do good things, to look beyond our own problems, and to direct our focus to the other. I think as we remember the baptism of Jesus today, that that is the beauty of our baptism and remembering our baptism. We are tied together into a community of faith that is deeper than just me, myself, and I. In every baptism we witness, we covenant to support one another, to help raise each other in faith, in doubt, to know the love of God and to make sure that folks remember that they are loved by our God before they can articulate it and when they can articulate it themselves. We are empowered and called again, just as we are, to extend compassion and I would add liberation. Not because we are superheroes or because we have it all together, but because we are willing to step into a worldwide community of the faithful because we trust that the Spirit is also upon each one of us and that we are made strong even in our weakness. There is um, a spiritual and folk song that was born out of the American institution of slavery that many of you know. Hint, it's also my sermon title. It's called Wade in the Water. And like many of the songs of those oppressed by slavery, these songs were a way to maintain hope to remember the biblical story, and to trust God even in the midst of horrific circumstances. Howard Thurman offered this interpretation of the musical text. He wrote, quote, For the slaves, the troubled waters meant the ups and the downs, the vicissitudes of life. Within the context of troubled waters, of li- the troubled waters of life, there are healing waters, because God is in the midst of the turmoil. Though African-American spirituals were born in the pain, oppression, and struggle of a particular people, they have become songs for all people. Thurman's conclusion is a message for all of us. Quote, do not shrink from moving confidently out into the choppy seas. Wade in the water, because God is troubling the water. And by troubling that water, friends, it does not mean that it is God who brings the chaos but that in these particular waters, God abides with us, God heals us, and God drenches us for community. When God troubles the water, it's a different kind of power that is splashed upon us. And so friends, on this baptism of the Lord's Sunday, let us remember the one who came to walk with us on earth to extend compassion, healing, and liberation, began by wading in the water first as well. Christ did not begin as a mighty warrior, but as a vulnerable infant. God's spirit breaking forth from the heavens and resting upon him and naming him beloved did not mean freedom from the chaos and pain of the world, but invited Jesus into it. 
And so in the midst of talks of war, evil, oppression, and disasters, we too dare to step into the waters again as well, trusting that God's going to trouble the waters. God with us and empowering us in the midst of it all, especially in the chaos and turmoil. So sisters and brothers and siblings in Christ today, let us remember our baptism and wade in the water. For even in the deepest, darkest water, we are the beloved with whom God is well pleased. May we believe that today and every day so that we may continue to live and breathe and move through a world with continued kindness, compassion, and justice for everyone. May you wade in that water today. Amen. Oh, 